Chris, 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 Chris. Ah, Andy, Andy, Andy. Daddy, Daddy said I could come over and play with your N64. Your daddy says meat runs to me. No, no, no. What are you doing? Like, you have an N64, you should be like the happiest child ever. Which is such an ironic statement from another child. But ironically, I used the word ironic a lot when I was 10. And because I am 10, I'm almost 11. I'm this many. Yes. So, so, uh, what games do you have for your N64? I don't know. My brothers blew it up because they all hate me. Aww, I was really looking forward to playing Frozen Soldier. I will never forgive you for that. Friendship over. This is Control Structure, episode 84, for April 15th, 2015. Big week to everyone listening. This show has show notes. Visit Nexus.tv slash CS84 to see them. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me today is Stephen Orvis. Hi. And Chris Basselhoff, the king of whatever, keeper of the ice fortress. Ugdonijans. Ugdonijans. Okay, keeper of the ice fortress. Listen, my people have a noble and proud heritage and also you know what i'm about to say it says right there four it is big week four it's not a big week to them okay it's not as if this week is going to be it's bigger. supposed to be to everyone listening someone changed that you cannot i did i know exactly why i did that first of all grammar second of all Second of all... To them, that means it, it has that more time is being inserted in this week. Second of all... Is that happening? This is a loose is happening? plan. Is that happening? This is a malleable plan. Loose? It's loose? It's a slutty plan. Because... Just say the word. Oh, you said a bad word. Is it? Really? Yes. Fine. It's a hussy plan. It goes all so, to all the speakeasy so, and gets all the gentlemen wet behind the ear. So, you know how you change that document? Yes. Likewise, the podcast is malleable, okay? It doesn't have to go exactly according to plan. Now that we got beyond that, something very interesting happened to me in the past week. Yes. What, so, was, what was that? got married, I remember. No. Uh, we're going to forget that one show happened. But it was a very interesting show, so go ahead. And a very and, short marriage. I'm very happy about that. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to Control Structure or, excuse me, cooking show number 83 go and do that right now because it is awesome immediately and yes. if you do not uh you will be hunted down by bears with flaming crossbows yes. and explosive aids and deer which steven will deer. come along and shoot ghost deer versus flaming bear with explosive, the flaming arrows <laughs> now here's the question do the flaming arrows have explosive aids or do the bears See what I mean? I'm not trying to be racist here, it but I think it's the bears. It doesn't really matter because you'll get explosive aids. Uh, I will. Whoa, whoa. We're talking I know about I used whoever. To We're you talking know. about whoever gets the explosive aids. Whomever. Why would we talk about the person getting the explosive aids, not the person who has the explosive aids? Doesn't matter. Generally speaking, I doesn't don't want to talk about this anymore. So, uh, oh, let's just do what you want to do. Yes, because this is my show. I'm the host of this show. Uh, is that why you get top billing? Yes. So, all criticisms about the show, all the horrible things that people are going to say about this, and how much they hate all of us, all that's on you, really. Yes. Okay, I can live with that. So, uh, last week, uh, I'm walking around my apartment, you know, like I do, mm. and, uh, you know, I'm walking around and I hear a squishing noise. I look down and I'm standing in a puddle. So... Dun, dun, dun. Now, the problem is, I'm also standing on carpet. Dun, dun, dun. So, uh, you know, it was 5.30. The apartment office was still open. So I go over there and say, hey, there's like a huge puddle in my apartment. Like, the carpet's all wet. Dun, dun, dun. And they say, they ask, is it near the water heater? And I'm like, why, yes, it is. So, apparently my water heater busted or got a leak or something. Uh, the good news is, within four hours, I had not only a new water heater, but hot water. Um, unfortunately, the carpet was ripped up, 
uh, was like pulled away and remained like that for a couple days until like Saturday. So it's all been dried out. And uh, like the guy that came and fixed it, uh, he in fact shampooed like the this entire living room. So that was pretty nice. The bad news is I've been using my computer from the kitchen for like the vast majority of a week. So I am like back in the living room with my nice three monitors. It's great now. When you said that you had your carpet shampooed and then you said, and the bad news is, I just thought that you like laid down in your carpet to shampoo your hair. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty funny, right? I mean, I we, we've all this... We've discussed on the program previously that and you are a hairy, fringe. hairy man. What? On, on the fringe. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's the same network, though. True. You are a pagoud. Okay, you're a human werewolf. We all know this. There's nothing wrong with that. We accept you the way you are. Or are. Thank whatever. You. Okay, I'm just, like, I'm just imagining you, like, trying to live on wet carpet. It just, it doesn't seem like your natural environment. It does not seem like the natural environment. I can actually do okay in aquatic circumstances, like that swampy sort of thing, for about 12 hours, and then after a while I just get sick of it, you know? Yeah, especially the mosquitoes. They make you sick. Well, explosive age reference? Yeah, sure. No. They, please, just one West Nile. What? Does not have explosive age there. I don't know why. But, go ahead. So, uh, I, you've already added your part into the podcast. You're so, welcome. So, Stephen, have you shot any deer? Actually not. I haven't shot any deer since, like, December or so-ish. So, I have to wait till, like, October for deer season. Been so, working on the gun, though. So, uh, uh, that is a reference if you haven't listened to, like, the first minute of 8-bit number 113, not 114, 113, has an epic uh, impression of control structure by someone who has never listened to control structure. And then uh, Buckface comes in and, you know, he's asking, or he uh, added, oh, I shot a deer today. <laughs> which <laughs> it, was, it was very nice. It, it fit in well. <laughs> yes, which was just epic. I have a question. I have a lot of those. What was, what was my contribution? Because, like, you had your flooding... And he had his not shooting of deer, which, you know, by the way... You were making, you're making commentary on how I did not uh, roll around in the shampooed carpet. So my commentary, as well as Stevens, was what didn't happen this week? Well, unless something big happened to you this past week or so. Maybe. You don't know. You don't know me sometimes. Actually, uh... You know that I sold cookies for autism awareness this week. How about that? That is great. Yes. Do you know what autism is? Yes. It's like where someone like daydreams and can't focus. Um, that's Chrisist, but okay, yeah, close enough. It has yeah. to do with like their social abilities too. Yeah. So it buy has, a cookie. It has a variety of different effects. Actually, you know what? I don't like shortbread cookies. So if you don't like shortbread cookies, don't buy them because they're shortbread. But it's still nice to know. Okay, so we, we haven't had a Kickstarter of the week for a while. Uh, but uh, this this time we do. And uh, so I'm sort of <clears throat> looking around for, uh, like, cloud storage options. And, like, especially, uh, you know, cloud storage that you can run on your own. Uh, now, uh, I found this one just today, and I just started using it, like, what, two hours ago? Uh, called Disk 42. And what this is, is encrypted cloud storage. Uh, so, like, the idea is that this program will encrypt your files on your own computer before you send it away to the cloud, you know, to someone else's machine. Uh, the idea being that if it's encrypted before it leaves your machine, then no one else should be able to, you know, read that. And so what's really important about that is even if the company is a trustworthy company that they wouldn't ever give your files to someone else if the government asks them to give it they still have to give it even if they don't want to so but if it's encrypted they can just say sorry we don't have the password so uh, another hmm. little interesting tidbit about that is that uh, these guys are operating out of europe so like europe supposedly has like more like stricter privacy laws hmm. mm. 
Uh, I, I saw that at the, the page they said they're definitely hosting in Europe. I was I was wondering about that. So and uh, so like the governments over there aren't as big as the government in the United States is. So like you know you know the government here is like you know give us all your data just because we're big and we can intimidate you and uh, goodbye. Uh, another thing you know about this is that it's open source. Uh, so. Uh, that implies that you would be able to run this as your own server. Uh, however, this uh, crowdfunding pitch does not explicitly say that. Hmm. I'd say that would be a really nice feature to have. It, it seemed like it, it, it should be possible because they said that right on their page that everything that they were using was going to be open source. So, so it would be interesting. Uh, apparently they so already have a uh, like a beta client uh, running. Hmm. So I guess I will be testing this out and maybe asking a few questions. What could possibly go wrong? Um, you're not like encrypting anything sensitive so far, right? Just like you know, just everything. <sighs> I have I have uh, external hard drives like in three places. One of them is on the. Why would you say this on the internet where people can find these things? <sighs> because even if they find them, they are encrypted. You just told them the company to go to to get the decryption key. Except they don't have the decryption key. That's the whole point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, you send it to the company, right? Yeah. They encrypt it. No. What? You encrypt it, then you send it. And you got the encryption key from... You have to build your own? Yeah. It's oh. derived from the password that you enter. No, what I mean is... Yeah, but can't you so just use... Hmm? The encryption happens on your computer, and then they just store the data. So they're not involved with the encryption or decryption process other than providing the software for your computer to run. I'm but just surprised they... that... No, go ahead. I'm listening. I was going to say, but the software they're providing your computer to run is open source, so that means you can go read the code and make sure they didn't put a back door in it. Mm. And they also provide storage on their own servers for you to put encrypted things on. That's really interesting. So they were giving 10 gigabytes. Was there their free option, which I thought was you know, a nice amount? I forget what Dropbox is, but I don't think it's 10, 10 gigs that Dropbox uh, has. Not, not initially, although like if you refer other people, you get like 500 megs at a time for each or so. And, and They uh, had some sort of a scavenger hunt, two ones, I think. Yeah, so uh, this the uh, crowdfunding campaign here on Indiegogo... Uh, like if you uh, pledge, since this is from Europe, uh, euros. If you pledge seventy nine euros, you'll get one terabyte of storage for one year. Hmm. So, and there's like a few other options uh, on up to uh, see. You can get uh, one terabyte for five years at three ninety nine. Hmm. Or or at five ninety nine, you can get a team package, uh, which you know up to. 10 people can uh, use uh, like your account uh, up to a maximum of 30 terabytes. I believe that's also for one year. Yeah. Raspberry. 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 Yay! I'm so, so excited. Raspberry. So excited. Raspberry. Yes. Raspberry. So there's a company that they're making a Pi Top. And what it is, it's, it's a kit that comes with the Raspberry Pi 2 that has that uh, quad core processor in it. And with the kit, there's pieces to build a small laptop out of it. So it has like the the shell and the screen and everything there and you can put it, put it together and it's essentially a, a cheap computer is what it makes it I think the kit's uh, $300 is what the whole thing was so it's not cost effective per se but the concept of putting a Pi in as a laptop and using it as a processor is kind of a nice idea I, I like that concept yeah. of it and yeah it, it's it's swappable like you come out with a new Pi someday that's something you could upgrade the hardware and swap a new one in 
And that's one thing the article was saying. This is kind of catering towards modders, people that want to do stuff like that and play with the hardware. And it's also pushing the Pi towards its original goal of actually being something kids could play with or learn to program on. Uh, reading it through kind of reminded me of that uh, one laptop one laptop per child thing that happened a while back of how they wanted a $100 laptop. This isn't, you know, close to that, obviously, but still it's kind of that concept in mind. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of like this idea, and uh, it says it's only two at $300, including the Raspberry Pi. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice concept, I like it. It says it comes out in, in June is when it's supposed to come out. Okay. So basically, you can, you know, read the instructions on how to manually assemble and disassemble a computer. Well, that's kind of an interesting idea. Not just the idea that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if you study technology, you know, anywhere near as much as basically anyone's interested in it, you know that, you know, people can do stuff like that. They can pop stuff out, put new things in. My brother even actually does stuff like that. I mean... He follows all governmental guidelines so as not to void the warranty. But um, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, you know, what kind of, especially if you said, you know, for kids, what if, you know, kid got hold of this, you know, what they might be able to attach to it or build from it, you know? Or how to break it. Well, kids are pretty good at breaking things, especially 10-year-olds who blow up their little In 64s. Yeah, I was going to talk about them blowing up my flaming crossbow armed bears, but we already have been through that. So, that kind of, that's nice. I like that idea of, you know, teaching people to, uh, that computers are not magical. You know, and that's, that's sort of one of my pet peeves is that, you know, people look at technology this, these days and they're like, oh, well, I just swiped it to the left. I don't really want to think about how it functions or what, you know, my computer can learn from me about doing that. I just want to, like, do whatever I'm doing. No, think about what you're doing, you know? Think about how it works. Exactly. Is there any commentary on here? Uh, There's plenty. So My girlfriend thinks I'm crazy. At least you have a girlfriend. So, uh, let's go on here and talk about Mantle. So, uh, we talked about this sometime last year. I forget exactly when. Uh, but Mantle is uh, AMD, uh, like, their new a- uh, graphical API. So, like, the idea behind this is that it is it has much less, uh, like, function call overhead than other conventional 3D graphics APIs. Uh, uh, they said that they would be releasing, like, some sort of an SDK uh, pretty shoon- soon after, but they never actually did that until, uh, like, last month. Uh, so they didn't actually release, like, the SDK or something that you can like tangibly build off of yet but they have released the uh what uh how do they call it like the programming guide uh yeah the mantle api programming guide it's a 450 page uh pdf and it you know goes over like all the functions and uh everything that you do to you know draw a 3d uh scene hmm so, an uh, interesting thing about this is that, you know, since it's multi-threaded, uh, like, you don't actually call it, like, directly. You apparently uh, call these functions into a command buffer uh, on, like, each of the threads, and then you submit that command buffer to be executed. So, in that way, you can, you know, queue up all these commands on multiple threads. Uh, so, you know, instead of you know, having, you know, as the conventional model is now, having one thread, you know, submit all these draw commands to the GPU, uh, like, one at a time, you know, multiple threads can do that now. So, in theory, it should be much, much faster and more efficient to do so. So what was the... There's some competitor demand that we talked about recently. Who was that? I'm trying to think what it was. Uh, there's actually two. Uh, there's uh, Vulkan. Uh, which is the like sort of next generation OpenGL, uh, and there's also DirectX 12, uh, which will supposedly have low latency API features. So I guess so the difference from like say DirectX to Mantle is Mantle is still actually on the hardware at a much closer level than the uh, DirectX. No, apparently DirectX 12 will be more like Mantle. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So you know. Apparently, AMD did this because, you know, Microsoft wasn't doing anything about it. 
So the drawback to the DirectX approach is that you can only use it on Windows, and the drawback to the Mantle approach is that you can only use it on uh, AMD hardware. So what if you're, you know, like pretty much like this rebel guy running an NVIDIA GPU on Linux, uh, you're not enjoying any of this new stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> For you, there's Vulkan. I love Linux jokes. So, I really do. Uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, move on here and, you know, graphics APIs that's, you know, used a lot by video games. Uh, so like not to be left out by all this free video game engine stuff that's been going on with, uh, you know, Unreal and even a little bit, uh, vastly discounted Crytek and Unity stuff, uh, Pixar, uh, has just released RenderMan for personal and non-commercial use. So you may not have heard of this, but you've definitely heard of like all the movies that Pixar has done. Uh, that's you know they essentially use RenderMan for pretty much all of that. So is this a while back we were talking about the one of the gaming engines, and I, I forget which one it was, but they were saying that you really needed something else to make it work, and I feel like RenderMan came up. Well, as some, something that could be used with, like it plugged in with the rendering engine in some way. Possibly, although I'm not that sure. That was like two, show, two shows ago. I should look that up. Uh, I mean, I feel I'm not sure that. which one that was, but, you know, RenderMan does have a lot of, like, 3D mod- modeling capabilities. Have you tried it? I have not tried it. Do you want to try it? I mean, you know. Eh? I'm creatively bankrupt, remember? Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. <laughs> so, uh... Onward. You're also bad at ping pong. I don't know what that says about a man. I don't like what that says about a man. So, uh, speaking a little bit about video games again, uh, there's a service called OnLive. And what that is, is that OnLive runs servers which you play video games on. And uh, what you essentially do is you send your controls to, like, their servers... And, like, it draws out, you know, it renders everything on their servers, and then it's streamed back as video to you. So, like, you don't have to really wait around for loading times because it's already loaded on their machines. Uh, so it kind of sounds like you need, like, a really nice internet infrastructure f- for this to happen, right? He's not You're... talking to me. He's talking to you. <laughs> well, either one you... of you. Oh, I absolutely agree with you in every way, shape, and form, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so uh, this company has been around for about four or five years, uh, and it's not going to be around much longer because they're shutting down, and they're pretty much selling off all their technology to Sony, uh, which is doing something similar. Uh, so yeah, no refunds uh, for anything for any of the games that you've uh, bought for on live. Hmm. Aww. So you know, again, you know. Uh, this is, you know, essentially it was a service that, you know, you could play video games, like, instantly. It doesn't really matter, like, how good your hardware is. It's just, you know, how good your internet connection is. Which really seems like a, a good concept. It's kind of surprising it didn't really take off and so, go. Uh, Sony, with their, uh, I think it's like PlayStation Now, uh, one of their features is that you can play... Uh, older PlayStation games like PlayStation 1, 2, and probably 3 games uh, over the internet, like, in the exact same way. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, too bad that, uh, you know, that's happening. Well, maybe what it might be is, you know, just a question of, like, marketing. Um, As you know, although I I am very reluctant to reference my father often, he, he does make a valid point or two about the timing of marketing that, you know, Though this is a good idea, I mean, you know, why sell, you know, bajillions upon bajillions of hardware consoles when you can just have it all in one place and run it for them? Um, it might just be a question of, you know, are people going to appreciate it for what it is in that era, you know? I mean, think about how long after the telegraph line was the phone invented, you know, a few years. They were contemporaries of one another. Uh, 30, why? 40 years, I think. No, I'd be very surprised. I'll look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty quick. All right. Uh, how long? All right. So while you're doing that, 
uh, Tantec Selic has declared that empty content-free pages that use JavaScript to fill in said content are bad. They are bad for search engines and history and are effectively ignorable. So this really affects me because uh, I run no script uh, with my Firefox. So the uh, you know whenever I come to a web page and it's essentially blank, you know chances are is that the underlying HTML is effectively empty, and I have to enable JavaScript on this domain in order to load in the uh, all the useful text. So um, let's see. Far as I remember, uh, you don't use Firefox, right, Steve? I do use Firefox. The Austin board got a tiny bit more awesome. Remember? I now that you mention it, I do remember that. So, uh, yeah, I basically run no script uh, for security purposes. So, like you know, this pretty much eliminates any kind of drive-by download uh, mm-hmm. capability. And as a nice bonus, it eliminates about 80% of ads. Hmm. <laughs> that is true. A lot of ads we use JavaScript. So uh, It also kills like some tr- tr- metrics for tracking and stuff on the internet. Like I think StatCon or their code uses JavaScript and stuff, so you just stop them. Oh, yeah. And like I hardly ever enable Google Analytics, uh, like .com or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I've been not tracked by Google for like pretty much everything for the past six years. Hmm. And then you sign into Google and then do a Google search the, through Google's website and they track it anyways. Well, except I you use, use DuckDuckGo. Yeah, so, you use DuckDuckGo. Uh, but even when you sign into Google, uh, that's different uh, from Google Analytics. So like they they run on different domains and how NoScript okay. works is you enable JavaScript for domains, so it's not like a global on-off switch. So you can so selectively just, just enable the analytics things. Domain. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, uh, what did you find out there? Um, 9th of October, 1876, Bell makes the first two-way long-distance telephone call, and uh, the first telegraph was in 1844, May 2nd. 1844. Was 18... the first one that was sent. Okay. May 24th, 1876. So, yeah, that's about 30 years. Yeah, I thought, was it, was, it... I thought it was a lot. Well, that's the first message sent to the first long distance. It, it could be of... the challenges of making a good, clean phone line were much more than just making an electric current go across the line and making something click on the other end. Yeah, because if I recall, uh, telegraph lines were essentially like single wires. Mm. Like there wasn't like two wires going back and forth mm. because they essentially used the earth as the return uh, wire. But for telephones, they found out that you couldn't really do that mm. without everything sounding bad. I, I feel like just the technology of doing it, like, it just seems way easier with the telegraph because you're just turning a switch on and off on the other end. Yes. Yeah. Versus whatever electronics make a, a telephone work. I'm trying to think of, because actually um, there was something that my uh, my dad was actually complaining about. Where he's like, you know, this is actually a pretty decent idea. And it wasn't, he likes to make the joke that he invested in anger management classes in the Middle East. He he thinks that's funny. But, uh, I mean, right, who else needs it, right? Like, oh, man, this bridge has been going on for 3,000 years. Why not send over some, you know, anger management? There was something along those lines where it's like, you know, if you actually think about it, this is a good idea. But then people may or may not hop on it the way you think. Like, uh, oh, I know what it was. Um, something like, uh, you remember those Treadway things? Treadway. Yeah, there are these little, like, two-wheeled forward Segway? vehicle things. I'm not making this up. This is real. You mean Segways? Yeah, those. Okay. Like, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of an interesting idea to say, you know, uh, why do we have bikes? Why do we have to, you know, sit onto something in order to go faster? Why can't we just, like, you know... Just stand and go. But, I mean, it didn't work. Yeah, like, I, I remember when those came out, everyone's like, yeah, we will be designing cities around these things. Yes, so that they can live in that city and not annoy the human beings that actually live in human yeah. cities. Like, even in California, that did not happen. Which is, I mean, 
It's California. <laughs> I mean, like, everything is in California, right? Not everything. Remember that box? It's in California, but other things are not. Steven, you wanted to say something? Yes, uh, what was your date you said for the telegraph? I got... Uh, the telegraph, I got, uh, May 24th, 1844. Uh, was it says... The, what's the first? Sent. This is on Wikipedia, the first working telegraph was built by francis ronalds in 1816 he laid down eight miles of wire insulated glass tubing in his garden and connected both ends to two clocks and marked them with letters of the alphabet so evidently he had some something so anyways what was that's significant 60 about years samuel morse uh he made it work he could yes. sell it and the funny thing about Morse is he made the whole system like you push a key and then it would like send it over on the other side and print it. But they said that the operators would learn to hear the clicks and they that was how you kind of got into the telegraph yeah. operators that would just listen to it instead of having to have a machine, which I always thought was kind of funny. Yeah. <sighs> so, oh yeah, you saying that about the Middle East? Uh, mm -hmm. What I'm about to say might be mildly legitimately racist you know why there will never be peace in the middle east um because there are people over there because it's filled with people who cannot eat bacon you know <laughs> people mock me but bacon is just wait you're from the life. middle east no people mock me you know you can't make fun of people from the middle east because say it with me that's racist you didn't say it with me okay the point is because I am against you calling everything racist. That's a lie. That is not a lie. That's kind of a lie. La. Okay. Ah, so, okay. Let's, let's go on to the next topic. I I am paying attention to you. I'm just saying that. Yeah. It's 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 bacon is a real thing. Okay. Yes, it's and just, it is very good, and it provides peace to all the people who partake of it. Yeah. You know, all of the peoples. You know, can't we just all come together and eat bait? Well, see, that's the thing, though. You got vegans, you got vegetarians. Uh, they're they're generally kind of a mellow different species. and chill people. Not the ones I know. They're very angry, full of anger. Uh, from well, at least from hanging out with them, that's what I've noticed is that they always seem to be very high tense and like you know on edge, like you know someone's about to attack them. That that just wouldn't be me. Okay, so next question. Okay. Not next question. I want to know topic. what's going on. Next topic. Okay, so speaking about Firefox, uh, Firefox 37, which, by the way, is the current version, was planned to have a really neat feature called opportunistic encryption. It <coughs> involved a response header that notifies the browser that content is available over SPDY or HTTP2 at some other port uh, on the same domain. Uh, the browser would try that for the next request, and if it works, it would use it thereafter. Uh, you could even use a self-signed certificate without getting any nasty UI errors. So uh, this, you know, blog post essentially explains how it works here, and you know, it uh, has an alt SVC uh, header that you know gives the port uh, for either HTTP2 or SPDY, uh, which you know a, that. Uh, respective server must be running on that port and it must serve the same content as the normal port 80 does. Uh, so, you know, this is, you know, the kind of transparent encryption, but it is encryption without, uh, was it authentication? So you can go ahead and use your self-signed certificates, uh, you know, and it will not cause any UI errors because this is just about encryption not authentication. And this is kind of like what I've been wanting for a long time. So, because the, if you really think about it, the current certificate authority system that is in place for HTTPS is kind of stupid, honestly, because it's based upon trusting, uh, like, uh, organizations and people that you essentially have never met. Mm. Plus, that... too, there's been attacks and stuff on those certificate authorities, so they're not always perfect. So, but it's, you know, that's what we have right now. So, and I say it was planned to have this because as soon as this was released, a very nasty bug was found that allowed malicious sites to bypass regular HTTPS protections. A new version disabled it within the few days of release. 
So it, it was immediately updated to 37.0.1 or something. I have an odd question. How exactly did that... Uh, is that something that could be malicious, do you think? Do you think someone put it in on purpose? I mean, there are people that it's, do that. It was put in in good faith, and how it operates you know, is supposed to be good. Mm. But it appears that the implementation of this was bad. So it's just sloppy, not... You know. Yeah. So uh, I've does, not heard of any uh, news of how this will you know be returning or mm. if it will. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm listening. I was I was just going to say it doesn't necessarily mean it's not uh, going to be released again in the future someday, perhaps. True. Just because mm. it was went wrong the first time. Exactly, mm. but. Hopefully, we won't really need this because uh, I believe it will be this summer that the Let's Encrypt project will uh, be up and running. So That's you Google's one, right? So you don't even need to pay to get any certificates. Hmm. So if you remember that, uh, I believe it was Acme, like that automated managed like certificate engine or something. I remember something about that. Was Google backing it, or were they? It they had a hands in it. I remember Google with that something. Probably. So yeah, arriving mid twenty fifteen. Hmm. So uh, even though Firefox is open source, Richard Stallman doesn't actually use the web. So this guy is. If, I think I've told you about him about the free software stuff. Mm-hmm. So. You know, uh, you know, if you've ever, you know, listened to what he's been saying and how he says it, you know, does he come off as a little bit extreme? You know, that is, you know, his moral crusade, moral crusade against proprietary software. Is, you know, does it come off as repulsive? I found an open letter that hits up, hits this on the head exactly. Uh, like, there's a few points about this, but I really like the uh, the baby steps part. Uh, it says, in today's world, it is not realistic to ask most users to completely abandon all proprietary software immediately. Proprietary software is usually better, especially when it comes to UI design and user experience. When a student confronted you with this, you responded that if we truly valued freedom, that we would not mind the inconvenience of, for example, emailing copies of documents around instead of collaborating via Google Docs. Dr. Stallman, Google Docs is really useful. As a side note, I'm reading this off of a Google Doc. <laughs> you traitor. Continuing along. I imagine you're probably unlikely to have tried this service yourself, abstaining as you have from proprietary software for the past several decades. It may be worth trying to the service out, if only to better relate to your target audience. Dr. Stallman, you like to use the argument... That proprietary software is like a drug. So let me extend that analogy. Today's proprietary software is not marijuana. It's heroin. And it's really, really good. You don't get someone off heroin by lecturing to them about how they should value their freedom. You switch them over to methadone for a while and let them slowly detox. To that end, please stop accusing users unwilling to shift to inferior software as haters of freedom. All you are doing is insulting us and inviting us to ignore you. Instead, consider offering practical alternatives and first steps for products that you would recommend. We live in a world where having the technological edge makes all the difference between success and failure. Asking us to give up that up uh, for a theoretical idea of freedom is not going to work. Any comments? That's what I got for now. I'll, I'll have something later to say after Stephen has his say. Do you agree with this? I definitely. There's sometimes when commercial products are better. Like Google does seem to me like it finds stuff well. Like for example, if there's you use DuckDuckGo, I know that's not open source, but exactly. Just as an example, other things. Sometimes companies make things really good, and they can be useful even looking at Word. I see that it does a really good job at formatting between like Microsoft formats and the user interface is probably a little bit better than OpenOffice or LibreOffice. Uh, so it, it has its own UI issues. Yeah, but on the whole, like 
there's things in there that seem easier to find, but yeah, it does have its own quirks to it and stuff. It's give and take. Do you have something to chime in before I... No, I pretty much agree with all of this. You know, I I am a proponent of of free software when it works and it's good. Uh, for instance, uh, I put uh, on my mom's computer, I put Linux on that uh, about four years ago. Oh, hi, mom. How you doing? Uh, I... I'm so proud of you, Andrew. I I did that because Linux was actually better. You know, the Mm. problem was, you know, it's Windows. If you don't really know what you're doing, it gets, you know, clogged up with a whole bunch of malware and stuff. So Linux doesn't exactly have that problem. And, you know, as a bonus, it is free. It is open source. You know, so that's more of an accident than, like, an actual purposeful thing. Steven, okay... First, like, let me just correct you on, you are actually a computer programmer. It's pronounced malware, not malware. Okay, you're not going to the mall and getting your wares. You're not wearing a mall. Second of all, um, without being too much of an expert in, say, you know, computer technologies and the thin line between open source and, or, you know, proprietary software, I do know this about, once more, about the economic side of the issue. There are a lot of times when a radical anarchist can take over the the public eye. For instance, and I'm not trying to be offensive here, but seriously, like Mahatma Gandhi would do this. He would say things like, what you need to do is you need to rebel against the government in very peaceful ways. Instead of buying salt from them, make your own. And for a while, they can gain a following, they can empower people. But ultimately, they fell, fall far, far short because ultimately, I don't want to farm. You know, I want to go to work and be a banker or something like that. And it's just simpler for an advanced society to be filled with people who specialize in, say, computer design. I mean, then have their own gardens and try and grow all their own food. And I think that something similar is happening here. Um, as for the heroin analogy, that ain't really going to help. You know, either side. They're like, listen, we are so addicted to this. I will literally sell everything I have for it. But um, he he's he's saying that there is a middle ground, and that's actually what ended up happening in India. Is that at first, you know, the British took over and they put in an extreme version of colonialism. Then there was a research of you know Indian independence and nationalism. Then they kind of struck up a balance where, you know, a great deal of the population, especially teenagers, spoke English and wore clothes that were Western, but still would, you know, embrace their own culture. I think that's probably what's going to happen here is the fact that, you know, you can't, you can't kick, quote unquote, I'm using quote unquote, by the way, we always say that when we use quotations. Anyway. We, you can't kick out owned software. You know, it's it's like saying, well, why can't we all just be communists and, and romp naked in, through the Garden of Eden? Well, that's just not how we're built anymore. It's an ideal society to say that we should all be able to share everything freely, but it just doesn't work, period. You, well, someone should be able to We're getting there. We're yeah. getting there. And you know what? There's nothing. Yeah, I, I don't. Hmm? I was going to say one thought that just came to my mind was one thing about a lot of the open source software is they actually have backers. They have commercial products built around them, or they make money in some way off of them. I was yeah. trying to think of an example of one that supports. I think Fedora. They they have some support uh, thing. Red Hat. Red Hat. There, that's the company name. They provide like the support for however much, and in but they make the software, and you can use it for free. But if you want the support, you've got to pay for it. Yeah. Okay, but you know there are. I'm saying that yes, obviously there are already people who are looking for common middle ground, but I do not personally believe that it's wrong to have proprietary software. There's nothing wrong with having software that you own, and and there's nothing wrong with trying to build up a large company around it. Well, there's arguments about whether you actually own proprietary software. Yeah, I mean, do you own information? Do you own data? Well, I mean, if, if, say, you get Microsoft Windows, do you own Windows? Or do you own a copy of Windows? Or do you just have you just bought permission to use Windows indefinitely? Which, yeah. Which at this point it seems that you have just bought permission to use it indefinitely. 
Um, if it works indefinitely, then why does it keep breaking? You still have the right to use Hashtag it. real life. Hashtag the struggle is real. Hashtag I like And that is why I hate hashtags. Ah, they, they, this again. It is just hashtag noise. I hate it. It hashtag noise. So there's like a little <laughs> like noise and then behind that noise is a hashtag. Well, no, no, no. Just like those little number sign things that everyone <sighs> has seemed to co-opted for all of this stuff. Well, yeah, but but we're going to get slightly back to the point at hand instead of going off on this crazy rabbit trail that you're always bouncing around on. Um, yeah, I understand that it's going to be tricky because all you're really talking about is really just zeros and ones. How do you prove you own that set? You know, what if someone else has designed something like that? You know, and you and I, you and I have had this discussion before, Andrew, and I guess that at the end of the day, it's important to have owner's rights. Because if there is one thing that is more sacred in America than religious freedom, it is what you own. It is your gun. It is your house. Technically, you can't own a wife anymore, but you can try. Okay. But, like, you know, once it's yours, people can't just pick it up and leave. And that is, that is once more, I do hate quoting my father, but he does have a valid point here. That is what makes the Western world's as advanced as it is in many cases mm-hmm. is the fact that if you're in Africa, you can claim your tribe by, you know, uh, your ancestors land or by a rock over there or whatever. But in America, we have very clear guidelines. I mean, what nine times the law is ownership. You know, I own this bit of software. I can use it the way I want and I can, you know, change control. it the I, way you want. Exactly. And I'm responsible for it too. That's the that's the important thing is that, you know, it's not like if, if Microsoft built a way to like, you know, uh, blow up computers, you know, someone else's computer, then, yeah, they should be held responsible for it. But if you make it open source, anyone then can tinker around with it and see what happens. So, yeah, I, I do think that there should be a place in the world for owning data for, well, you know, programs. programs. But I mean, you know, even I'd even say data, too. That, you know, there there should be, there should come a time when the data, personal data even, can be owned, you know? Uh, like well, you sort of pictures do own personal data. Yeah, but then why does the government get to take it without my permission, right? Because it is stored elsewhere. Because they, they took the picture, too. If you oh, take the picture, it's yours. It's yours, but if they take the picture, it's their okay. picture. You don't own it. Okay, I but... I think we did that well. And to that end... A practical alternative is coming. Icework and Collabora, I think I pronounced that right, are working on LibreOffice Online. It is a private cloud analog to Google Apps, Google Docs, and so forth, and Microsoft Office 365. So, you know, this will essentially allow you to, you know, open up a document or a spreadsheet or something, but actually run it on your own machine. Like, you can act like the server behind us can actually, in theory, could run the server to this, and we can connect to it, and it'll be just like Google Docs. Hmm. So I actually tried the online version of Microsoft Office once, and it like wouldn't let you edit the document. It was really bad. Like it seemed broken. Yeah, and I hear that uh, complaint also against SharePoint. Uh, I'm not sure if your office runs SharePoint. Steve? No, because I, I don't really know what it is. I've heard that heard it thrown around before, but I yeah, can't know um, what it is. So, Let's see. It was my very first job that I had over here in Pittsburgh that, you know, it's a giant, huge company. So they need some, like, central way of, you know, throwing documents up somewhere that apparently a, a like, a shared folder somewhere will not actually work. So they got uh, Microsoft SharePoint, and you know it's essentially like an online document sharing uh, system, but it doesn't have any kind of live uh, editing features like uh, Google Docs has. Hmm. It's essentially you go on, you lock the file, you download it, you edit it, then you upload it back. Doesn't it work? They just put it into the folders of TFS. Not not into the source control, into the folders. Right. Which gets really nasty because there's no version of the documents then. So, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, but it's way too heavy and quite does not work right. 
Mm. So, like, there's uh, so some guy that actually has you know started working on this has uh, put up a blog post that sort of explains how it works, and it essentially uh, pre-renders like a lot of image tiles uh, so that they can be cached. So you know the browser you know opens up the document and you know it's essentially like a bunch of tiles, sort of like how Google Earth does. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was you were saying in there that most of the time when you're using a document, you spend the bulk of your time reading and not editing. Yeah, which uh, would probably be uh, pretty good for memory, I imagine, because you know Google Docs uses an absurd amount of memory. I'm sure. So, so now one interesting thing I noticed I on my uh, smartphone that the Google Docs program recently it updated and now when you open a document up it will be in a read only mode and then you click the edit thing to go into an edit mode and then then it's editing so it's it's almost doing something like that it has some different processing it's handling. Hmm. Hmm. So this is a uh, news item that is actually relevant to me in uh, my professional work. Uh, the payment card industry. Uh, you sometimes hear the acronym PCI thrown around a lot, and it's not the kind of slots on a motherboard. Uh, this is something very different. The payment card industry security standards council, uh, standard 3.1, will disallow any use of SSL and will force TLS instead. Uh, so, you know, this is in the wake of some very disturbing and troubling uh, vulnerabilities with SSL, uh, pretty much all versions of SSL, and that, you know, you must use TLS like 1.0, 1.1, or 1.2 uh, in order to do your uh, transactions with. So this is the, you know, the PCI standards dictate, you know, how, uh, like, say, credit card numbers are stored and, like, other, uh, like, very sensitive uh, banking uh, and commercial transactions are handled. Uh, so, you know, having those, you know, encrypted uh, and uh, transferred well is very important. Um, so that said, you know, a lot of companies that I work with are huge monolithic you know, things that you would imagine don't really have up-to-date software. So the uh, systems that I work with uh, are actually pretty good about this. Uh, you know, back when the Poodle vulnerability came out, uh, like back in September, I think it was, mm -hmm. that, you know, everyone, you know, this was an issue that was brought up to everyone. And... Uh, like everyone started turning off SSL compatibility and surprisingly it still all worked. So, uh, you know, there was, you know, a lot of questions going around, you know, you know, is it okay to turn it off? Well, it turns out at least for the platform that I worked with, it was all good. C could I have a refund, please? This gun doesn't seem to work. Hmm. I don't know. Looks like it works to me. Two words, my friend. No refunds. Chris? Yes, that's my name. How about we uh, interview you properly? Okay. Only if I get to respond in only inappropriate fashions. Uh, no. I would appreciate some seriousness to this. How about 93% inappropriate? I mean, like, statistically speaking... How about 93% appropriate? Appropriate? What am I going to get appropriate? I have three appropriates. Okay, how can I choose one appropriate over the another? The clean one. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to wash one of my appropriates and the other two appropriates. You're going so to jealous. throw away. You're going to throw up and throw away. And throw them out. Yes. Did you just use a callback better than I did? Okay, here we go. So what inspires you? <sighs> Radiation. Lots of things. You know, it's actually 
I think we actually we've been through this before. It's harder not to inspire me. I find I'm I'm actually getting to the point in my life where I'm so bored mentally that I've actually checked out a book on geometry. I told you about this, and I'm actually finding it fun. Like that is the point where I've gotten to the point in my that's the point in my life that I'm at right now. That I'm actually reading about like you know how to label an angle, and I'm like this is great. You know, that's concerning. I, I'm I'm like, wow, someone needs to put me down, like, right now. You know? So, uh, what got you started in computers and technology? Oh, computers and technology. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what I've learned these past few months have mostly come from you and Steven. You know, just sort of uh, researching and, and learning. Um, I guess that... I didn't really grow up with a computer, so it wasn't, like, a real big issue. I mean, like I said before, you know, computers are just magical. You know, they you push a button and things appear on the screen. Um, then I took a class where I learned how to screen capture a picture of, you know. You know Whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I thought there for a second about, like, it, it, it flashed into my brain. I was only 18 years old. I bet there's, like, a billion things on that computer that some... I use the word nerd liberally at this point. But some nerd put on there, and it's a good idea. But how many people actually know these things? Like, you know, okay, the screen capture. That's not, you know, the most effective thing in the universe. But, you know, there, there are several points in time where I need to use it. My mother actually needed to use it. You know, and I bet there's a system out there for just about anything I could ever want to do on a computer. It's just how many people research it enough. So I started getting interested in, you know, how do I, you know, work this together? Can I build a, you know, laser gun? Stuff like that. The usual. So, screen captures. That's that's fair, yeah. So, what was your first gigantic technical accomplishment? Um, breaking the home computer. <laughs> yeah, I I'd say that we've pretty much all done our fair share of that. Actually, I didn't break it. My mother breaks it all the time, which is weird. Because, like, we don't know how. So she'll be like, I broke it! And then, usually it's Jonathan, to be fair. I'll give him credit for that. But, generally speaking, I'll even come along and I'll go, you know, Mom, you've opened up, like, 37 windows. And she will insist, practically on her life, that opening all those windows does nothing to slow the computer down. You go, Mom, <laughs> Mom, just just let me close some of these windows down. No, I gotta have my hatchlings! That's what my mother sounds like when she's not, you know, spagowing me. So, um, you know, it's it's fixing the home computer. Plus, you know, once I actually started getting into programming, you know that I my first computer program, I'd say, is where it's my yeah. first real accomplishment. Yeah, the, uh, uh, was it the text-based dating simulator that insults you? <laughs> it doesn't insult you, it's just real with you. Now, if it insulted <laughs> you, I can't be blamed for that. That's just how the simulator works. Actually, you know what, I've done a lot. Computer-wise, I mean, I, I even took a class my first year in college about, you know, computers and how to use them. I, that might actually be the first. I don't know. It really depends on the level you're talking about. Like, my first level com in computer design, my first level in studying how computers work, my first level of, you know, building my own game. I mean, it, it does depend. Well, like the first time that you did something, you sat back and you're like, wow. This is amazing and cool. Mmm. Oh, my. You know what? I would have to go with the first time I edited a video. Because, you know, I, I do love my Smite stuff. I do love computer programming. But really, um, I like video because, like, I have it in my brain as what I'm doing. As opposed to, like, you know, uh, programming where I'm just not that good at it yet that I can just, like, put it in my brain and then actualize it on the screen. Whereas with a video, I mean, you've seen some of my stuff, right? I've shown you some stuff? Uh, I think so. One or two. Not too much. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, generally speaking, I would say that was it because it was something I loved and it was something that I actually managed to accomplish all on my own. Okay. So, what tools do you use now? How have they changed? Um, well, I use my personal computer, which is much better than, you know, trying to go to the library and do something. Um, so I use my personal computer. I use when, um, I'd have to say, you know, I use a variety of tools. I use, you know, obviously the internet. I use, you know, Windows Movie Maker, which is a horrible system, honestly. 
actually, I downloaded a a free trial of like one of the uh, one of something that was so much better I couldn't actually make it work. So, and then I got a little email from the company like, "Okay, your trial's over in you know twenty four hours." I'm like, "Oh, thanks, buddy." <laughs> you know, buddy. And, yeah, I've actually been looking a little bit into finding another like open source like really good. Um, video editing system so if anyone listening to this has like a great idea something that's simple but like above windows movie maker because like it's i'm sorry to use this language but it's so friggin sucks. so if, if you check out slickdeals.net around in and around black friday fries.com pretty much always puts on sale like the sony movie maker or one of their corral the video studio editors mm. uh, for sale for free hmm. which you can't be free all right, that I'm uh, glad I got to know you better, Chris. Are you? Yes. Generally speaking, people aren't. I, uh, I'm not trying to comment on on that, but yeah, generally speaking, they're like, "Ah, help! Fire! Fire!" And I know I've already done this this evening, but hi, Chris. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Stephen. Wait, do we count Stephen anymore? Yeah, it's just the puppy in the background. Hey. People care about puppies, you know. People do care. You know, I still they, care about that guy in the basement with the tutu and all that. I love you, man. His name is Frank. I bet you didn't even know that because you don't care about him like I do. Well, I'm. It's good that someone does. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. It's probably better if no one loves him at all. You know, I, I generally find that that's the answer to life is just not caring about other people. But um, you know, the odd thing is, I had this doc in front of me, and I still didn't know when answers were coming necessarily. I was like, oh, look at this, yay. All right, so uh, with that, today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff. In fact... It was Backup Awareness Day the last time I was here. Yes. And the time before that. Yes. And probably the time before that, too, right? Yep. You you got it, right? You understand the importance of backing up your stuff every day. I still haven't done it. (laughs) I know I should. So, okay, I, you know what? Today I have a flash drive. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna back up some of my stuff. Yes. Okay? Woo! So and uh, actually, I have some tip for backing up some video games. Mm. So if you have a copy of Stalker, uh, that is any of the three Stalker games, you can reclaim them on good old games. Uh, let's see, it was just uh, oh about yeah about two weeks ago that they announced that uh, you know they were going to start. You know, offering free copies of games that you already own and allow them to allow you to access them on their uh, service. Uh, so you know the stalker games of course and apparently Mountain Blade uh, uh, two games on there and something called Edor Genesis, which I've never heard of that one before. hmm uh, And uh, just as a reminder, you can also, uh, you can also back up your Witcher games on good old games. Uh, and I'm not sure why they don't make a unified page for, uh, like, all those Stalker games and The Witcher. It doesn't really make sense. You can also claim some retail games on Steam. Uh, games that, uh, like, actually do not require Steam. So uh, I was kind of surprised that, uh, you know, I have an actual text file with, uh, like, some of my game CD keys in there. So I just started throwing them in at random, and I put my Supreme Supreme Commander key in there and got both it and the Forged Alliance expansion. I also put in my 3D Mark Vantage key, which is apparently unlisted in this forum post, and got that too. Uh, apparently I just found that in the uh, Future Marks FAQ that you can actually claim... 3D Mark and apparently PC Mark on Steam. Uh, so yeah, pretty cool. Would you like anything else to add? Can I have an ice cream sandwich or sushi? I've been good today. You? I've been so good today. Unfortunately, I have not replenished my stock of ice cream cookies or ice cream sandwiches. There we go. I was wondering where we're we going with that. Um, I think we've really accomplished some some really good stuff today. Yes. Uh, you, Steve. Um, pretty much I'll just be this week, uh, maybe working on my gun some, and I have uh, training actually next week at the office, so I'll probably be down there for most of the week, actually, so. All right, so this is Andrew Bailey. Have a good one.
This is Steven Orvis. Have a better one. Wait, did we? Well, no, he clapped. That means we ended. Yeah. Wait, do I do it now? You can do it. I want to do it. <laughs> do it. Let me do it. Do it. I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs>